Up next on Episode 83 of Stack Overflow, Joel and Jeff discuss the promise and peril of email, both social and technical, Google Buzz, and the value of training material from IT Conversations. Hi, this is Phil Windley. Today I'm excited to bring you another great program from Stack Overflow with Joel Spolsky and Jeff Atwood here on IT Conversations. The Conversations Network is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we need your help. For a tax-deductible donation of as little as $5 per month, you can support this channel and the rest of the Conversations Network. So please visit conversationsnetwork.org to become a member and help us continue to bring our programs to the world for free. Our audio files are delivered by Limelight Networks, the high-performance content delivery network for digital media. And now, here's Stack Overflow. Next week, I will be in New Zealand, so there will be definitely New no... effing Zealand. You know what's in New Zealand? What's that? Kiwi birds. <laughs> and you know... <laughs> and you know what kiwis are the mascot of? I, uh, this product. Uh, yeah. Some bug tracking thing. That's right. That's right. That's right. Because I am a, bug, I am bug. a New Zealand actually, and um, your your goal. Well, you're, are you going to go to Australia for a little bit just for tourism purposes while no. you're in it? No. We're going to stay. It, I'm going to be gone for two weeks, and we're going to be in the North Island. We're not going to have time to make it to the South Island probably, but we'll be in Wellington, which is the North yeah. Island. That's where the Webstock Journey sure. and conferences. City. That's, that's why I'm going. That's where my dad grew up. Yep, we're going to stay there for a week, and then we're going to rent a camper van, which is very traditional in New Zealand apparently, and drive mm-hmm. around. Uh, the North Island. I, I will have Rock Hard Awesome, my son Henry, with me. North Island's and, okay. South Island is nicer. Everybody says that, but yeah. then other people say, you know, the North Island doesn't get enough credit. <laughs> well, those are people that have been to the South Island. We looked at going, but it, it's like really far. I mean, I, I don't think two weeks is really enough, particularly if we're one week in the North Island. Two sure. weeks is not really enough time to do both islands are you and kidding? get any kind of justice. You totally can. You can do a loop. You you fly down. I'll tell you how to do this. Like seriously, there's a three day. No, 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 we're not gonna no, South no, Island no, no, no. thing. That's plan, awesome. Plan is set. I mean, we'll come back and do the South Island at some point. But this is what you said to me when I tried to tell you not to take the taxi from Heathrow Airport. You said, "No, no, the plan. The what? plan is totally set." You never told me anything. <laughs> I said, "Don't that. take a taxi. You take the Paddington Express." No. No. <laughs> and you said, "Nope, not even listening. Not even listening." So one side effect of me being in New Zealand for Webstock yeah. uh, is obviously we're not going to have the podcast. What, but what I was thinking would be cool, sure. either yeah. this next Tuesday or the Tuesday after, you should totally have a podcast with the Stack Exchange team. That would be really interesting. You know what would be even cooler? You should find some Kiwis down there and have a podcast. It's going to be – who else is speaking at Webstock? Oh, gosh. A bunch of people. Yeah. Um, Kevin Rose is going to be there. Kevin um, Rose. Kevin Rose. Why do I know that name? Uh, Grandma Rose. That was my great-grandmother. Dick. Oh, of course. Uh, there's a bunch of really cool people. Uh, John Riesig will be there. Yeah, grab one of them and do a podcast. Did we ever do a podcast with John? We did. Yeah, but I'm not. Uh, I don't know. Done. I. It's. Uh, yeah, you I'm not really. I'm not you. I'm not. I don't take all my podcasting equipment <laughs> with. I don't even have podcasting equipment. <laughs> you don't have a studio and an knapsack that you bring with you. No, I don't. I don't. Um, so I think it would be really interesting if you brought in the Stack Exchange team because one thing we've discussed internally that's really interesting to us is the Stack Exchange team has very different scaling problems from us because you this guys have to run us, yes. Well, it's not surprising, but it's just it's an interesting right, engineering maybe. problem in a very different dimension where you have lots and lots of these little sites that have to run, and some of them get to be pretty big. Right? Yeah, a lot of them get to be big. Yeah, I was thinking, okay, Stack. First of all, you've already optimized the hell out of that code. And secondly, all of our sites are going to be small. So how hard could it be? We'll just throw you know, 50 of them on every server or whatever, or 500 or 1,000. But uh, it turned out to be hard, yeah. So the first, yes. the first problem is that when you have tightly optimized code, the optimizations are, are brittle, which is something I never would have guessed. But this is just – and this is like big picture manager idiot here, right? So you guys can all diss me. But from the, from the, from the 10,000 feet when I look at this – if you make a change to very, very tightly perform an optimized code, any kind of change, the optimization is out the window. Like all of a sudden it becomes 10 times slower. Like the more tightly wrong your code is to be super optimized, the more likely like a little change is going to make the whole thing explode and take way longer. And so every little step that they take over there, they have to then go re-optimize basically. 
Yes. I mean, that doesn't surprise me. In fact, one of the things that I was apprehensive about with the stack exchange model was that there was going to be a lot of re-engineering necessary to support. Yeah. Think about this. There's a lot of stuff that you can, that, that, like, for example, even just like what logo shows on the homepage that are constants on Stack Overflow that you're going to want to have in RAM. And for us, those are things that have to be read from a database because we have many, many sites and all of them have different logos. So, um, you know, even if the database is cached and all that kind of stuff, every, there's all kinds of stuff like that where you're optimizing for one site and we have to be able to run arbitrary sites where it just becomes uh, a way more complicated problem than we, we, we would have expected. So it's actually taking us longer than we thought to get to um, gold quality on, on the Stack Exchange. Yeah, and that's. I, I think it would be really interesting to have the team on and, and talk about this stuff and talk about what's going All on. Right. Well, you promised the people that they would get that, so I guess i got to make a little note. For Plus, Stack I mean, you have, a pretty, you have a pretty good team there, and awesome I think team, yeah. we should probably get some. We have some. Uh, three people now. Yeah. Yeah, we have the, we have the, the new Emmett. That's right. Uh, the other exciting thing about being in New Zealand that I just realized, are you familiar with the singer Wing? W-I-N-G, Wing? Wing. So Wing is uh, sort of one of those internet meme type of things. Okay. Uh, let me, and it turns out she's from she's been on uh, South Park. And I want to read you I want to read you a section of her Wikipedia entry. Uh, she's apparently from New Zealand, which I had no idea. And it says here, despite so her the un- flight of the Concords, by the way, don't forget them. That's true. Well, that's a given. I mean, that's I, huge. I assume you're gonna be hanging out with them at all kinds of well, cafes. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Brett and Jermaine will both be totally. Brit. On our camper van with us, ideally. (laughs) It's Jermaine. There's no R. Jermaine. Did I I say Jermaine? A lot of Americans think there's an R there that's just being dropped by the New Zealanders. Ah, no. I I think I said Jermaine. I I do pronounce it the way the show does. So on Wing's Wikipedia page, it says here, despite her unconventional, out-of-tune slash can't-sing style, (laughs) the recording (laughs) proved a success. Uh, and I'll put some I'll put some links in the show notes, but it's quite an experience to hear Wing uh-huh. sing anything, and she has like ten albums, sixteen albums actually, according to her Wikipedia page. But she's from New Zealand, so I was very, very excited about that. Uh, so lots of famous people from New Zealand. Yeah, yeah. Um, what else did you do while you're there? You're really going to be on the north line, so you're certainly going to go to Rotorua, right? I mean, if you you told me you got this whole thing parked parked out, so so you've got to have on the North Island. That's one of the only things. That everybody has to do. Well, if it's something everyone has to do, then I'm sure we will be doing that. And it's going to be summer there. You're so lucky. So you can actually go to this. There's a a beach resort. I wish I remember the name of this town that was basically on the upper right-hand corner of New Zealand. Mm -hmm. Let's pop up a map here. If only there was a website. Are you giving me the equivalent of when you're in New York City visiting the Statue of Liberty? Um, No, no. I'm going to actually give you a, a cool place. There you go. Is it Taranga? I think it probably is. A um, lot, of, lot of beaches around there. Well, you'll find cool. them. Yeah, cool. Uh, so yeah, so I have some other, I I have some other Stack Overflow-y. Oh, do we have any listener questions, by the way, just to give me a sense of how many we have? Uh, yeah, you know, we probably have more, but I got one all queued up. Okay, <laughs> but uh, I have something I want to talk about first. So yeah. I want to talk a little bit about email. Um, <laughs> oh. And I've said for a long time, and I, I continue to believe this and have die. this belief reaffirmed that uh, email is just kind of a broken system. I mean, it, it still works. We still use it, et cetera, et cetera. But it's just broken on some real fundamental level that I've written about many times. I'm not going to belabor that. But I was surprised to see this Google Buzz thing yeah. is built on email. Yeah, we're switching <laughs> to email, actually. Uh, Google Buzz, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, tell us about Google Buzz because it's new today and it won't be like talking about the iPod because it'll pad. <laughs> <laughs> one well, week after it came I out. I was just surprised. I don't really have much to add other than it's built on email, which to me already says it's kind of a failure. Does that mean <laughs> if you do something, it sends an email to everybody? No. I I am not even going to... Basically, it builds your contact network through people you've emailed, okay. which I don't agree with at all. Like, I don't view that as my contact. I mean, I, I, I get a lot of random email from a lot of random people. Oh, yeah. Well, that's because you're an internet celebrity. But those people are following you. I suppose. On Twitter. Um, but the, the reason I brought up email was because we don't send a lot of emails in Stack Overflow. In fact, yeah. the only times we will ever email you are, there's actually, there used to be four scenarios, now there's, we added one. So let me, let me just enumerate them so we can get through the list. Okay, so 
if you're asking a question, you tick the box. You're a registered user. You ask a question. You can tick a box that says, hey, email me new answers to this question. Right. Now, caveat with that is that it's done at the end of the day. At like I think it's like a midnight batch job. Okay. It is not immediate. Right. And this is kind of by design. Sure. And you actually had a whole article where you talked about how supporting email too aggressively will actually sort of break the social bonds of your community. In this particular case, if somebody asks a question – there is sort of a they, – they almost have an ethical obligation to check back and see for answers. E- even though it's a polling system and it seems inefficient, you're like, why not just notify me about answers? And, and to some extent when you say, just notify me about answers, you're basically saying, I don't care enough about this community to actually bother checking it or hanging out there. I just want them to feed me answers directly into my inbox. Thank you very much. And it's almost like a selfish kind of, kind of thing. And, and, so, and I totally uh, get yeah. that, and I, and I do agree with that. And that is why That's our email philosophy. notifications will never be super, super aggressive. Right. Uh, one, because technically it's annoying, and two, because we just philosophically kind of disagree with making it too aggressive. So I totally get you, totally agree, and that's why it is the way it is. Because a couple questions have come up on Meta about, why don't you just email me immediately? And I always have mm-hmm. to explain to them, and I actually cite your article when I'm explaining this to them. Uh, so that's scenario number one. Uh, scenario uh, number two... And this is one that was broken for a long time, and we just figured this out. If you haven't been to the site in seven days, mm-hmm. and you have enabled email notifications, there's actually a preference. We have very few preferences on Stack Overflow, but one of the preferences is I would like to opt in to emails when I'm away from the site. Mm-hmm. After seven days, it would email you sort of a summary of everything that happened on all your stuff. Yeah. Uh, That's kind and of, that, it was just a way of reading. seems really useful, except that people wouldn't, probably not enough people opted for this. Yes, and what I just found there was a weird little bug, and it was kind of my bug actually, uh, that prevented this from happening for almost a year. Since <laughs> like the last one, I checked our we have an we have an email alias that all the email gets echoed to. Okay. And the last email that was sent of this type was four four two thousand nine. So nobody missed this email. So for almost a year, this email was not going out at all, and nobody complained. There was not a single complaint that this email was not being sent. That's and right. that to me just underscored sort of the lack of importance. Well, remember, of, you're uh, talking about email. people that are not super devoted to the site and so are unlikely to ever go into the preferences world at all. Right? So the, the people that are super devoted are, who are the same people that go into preferences don't need this because they're checking back every 10 minutes. Yeah, I, I agree. It, it's this weird no man's land. This is why I have sort of a, a, a hate-hate relationship with email. Like I don't I struggle to find situations where it's actually that useful. Now, let me well, go with But you're talking about like email as a functionality of a social application. But what, what about like email, like when you have conversations with people, like just sending email? Let me let me tell you something interesting that uh, that Jason told me last night. Um, uh, I, you know, I mentioned to him that I'm probably going to stop the main Joel on Software blog. I guess I haven't really publicly announced this yet. So the main Joel on Software blog is probably going to end on a 10-year anniversary, March 18th. Uh, and I'll do something else, but it's not going to be like the old world blogging. That's just sort of boring. Um, and so, uh, so Jason said, hey, you should do what I did, start sending emails to people. Just have like a mailing list. Wow. Which I said, that's what? <laughs> he said, I would read every single one of your emails. He said, he, he, this is what he told me happened to him. He said that the top-level people, like the high-level, interesting executive-type people and the most interesting people, just don't have time to sit around and read blogs. They won't read web pages and whatnot. But he has them all on his mailing list, and they read his stuff all the time. So what, he said what happened is the quality of his readers went way up. In other words, I don't want to say quality, but like all of a sudden, he's got reading his email. I hope I'm allowed to say that. Um, and, you know, w- w- who would never is never sitting around reading blogs, but he does have a BlackBerry, and he's sitting there standing in the line at Starbucks, and he's like, "Oh, there's an interesting thing from Jason Calacanis. Let's see what he says." Mm-hmm. So, um, so that's what th- he actually claimed that uh, the email newsletter was a way of reaching. I, I don't want to say the influencers, but the people that are just outside of the world of blogs. You know what I mean? But they're still mm-hmm. in. They still have the BlackBerry. So, um, that's what he claimed. It's interesting. I mean, I can sort of see where he's coming from, but at the same time, it seems very elitist at some level. It's, well, it depends what you're trying to do, what your goal is, whether your goal yeah, is to... And it w- does. One of the reasons why um, I'm kind of... The, the, the Joel on Software thing, I think, is done, <laughs> is, I mean, like, been there, done that, uh, is that I, I've, I've discovered that the world of people who are, are programmers and read blogs 
is a pretty narrow world. And, and I've just been sort of like saturating that world for a while. Like, like everybody in that world, you can't even say the word Joel without them thinking that it's me. Like there are other people named Joel, you know. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Like, you assume that you're. I don't believe and, you, Joel. I don't believe you. <laughs> I did have on Hacker News today where some, there was some other Joel that, that, and everybody's like, oh, I thought that was Joel Polsky. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm very, like, no, stop. It's like, I don't want to be like such a monster in this little tiny world where like I'm just so dominant. I'd rather, like, there, there, there are other people who don't go to Hacker News four times a day and read everything new that they see there. There, there, there exist other types of people in the world, you know. That 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 uh, and 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 so I, I kind of wanted to start talking to them somehow, which is what I'll probably do. Anyway. No, I I can see where you're coming from. You're just trying to reach a different audience. Yeah, that I, I can I can understand that. Reach them done complete. But so that, but that's why I'm asking. I, the reason I'm asking is when you say email, I hate email. Are you really talking about it like as a as a as a as a feature of uh, of a website like Stack Overflow? Or are you talking about, like, you don't even want to get an email from so-and-so saying, hey, would you like to go out to dinner to such and such a restaurant? Well, without rehashing the blog articles about this, I think it's, it's become the kitchen sink. I think it, that's the problem. Yeah, but that's to the extent that it is the kitchen them. sink of communication, it is a huge, huge problem. Um, one of the reasons I, I like Twitter is because it forces people to stick to 140 characters. Like, if you can't, t if you can just give me 100, if all my emails were 140 characters, I would actually be much happier with email as a communication medium because there's just no way you could send me a wall of text that mm -hmm. makes me feel guilty for not having time to read it and respond to it because you spend all this time composing this wall of text, right? Oh, well, there, there's certainly dysfunctional email behavior. Like, anybody who is uh, a responsible adult knows that you don't send somebody out of the blue a page of text. You send them a paragraph with a question that's actionable that can be answered. Let's just do a little quick email. But look at but look how much responsibility that takes. I mean, you're assuming that everybody is going to have. They the just don't know this. Listen, let me tell you. Let me. Here's an announcement to people who emailed Jeff Atwood out of the blue. Well, just anyone, just not me. If you email anyone, this is just a standard. Somebody guide. that you've never met. This is my guideline. If you are about to email somebody that you've never met because you want something out of them, and you maybe you just want to be their friend, or maybe you want their advice, or maybe you want them to look at your thing that you made and blog about it, or look at your thing that you made and give them advice or whatever. If you send a one-page email, it is getting deleted because nobody has time. And not that we don't have time to read this, and not that Jeff doesn't have time to read this, but the the burden on him in responding is too high, and so he's going to have to opt out because Jeff does not have time. Uh, what you need to do is start with a nice email saying, hey, I like your website. It's awesome. No need to reply. Thank you very much. Send that email, right? Please, an email, two sentences, says do not reply. That is the first email that you send Jeff. Then you wait a week, and then you wait till Jeff writes something else, and then you respond and you say, hey, I love this thing that you wrote about blah, 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 about how Joel jumped the shark. Did you, you may also be interested in something. You give Jeff something. It's like Again, no need to reply. So you want to be on Jeff's radar. You, you want him to know who you are, but you're being very, very respectful of his time. You're saying, I just want you to see this cool thing, but I don't want... And eventually you're going to start to recognize my name. I'm not asking anything from you. The first time you ask for something, if you actually need to get something out of Jeff, eventually, you're going to send him an email where you're like, hey, I'd like you to look at my little startup and see what you think about this tool that we made. You have to do... The, you, you have to make it really simple. It has to be like one paragraph. It can't be 14 paragraphs. You can't have a long explanation. It has to just be, I thought you would be interested in such and such. One sentence description. Again, no reply required. Or if you're going to ask a specific question, just ask it flat out and the answer better be one or two sentences. Would you, you know, be I don't, interested in I got to say, I, I don't really agree with much of what you just said <laughs> because <laughs> first of all, you're encouraging people to email me, which I think is bad. I no, mean, remember that but they're going to anyway. But the trouble is they're going to do it in a wrong way with a long, rambling letter that doesn't have any possible rational response. A lot of times, you know what? Half the email I get from John Software, not half, a lot of the email I get, I get like 20 emails a day, 20 or 30 emails a day. And a lot of it is just long, rambling stuff where I'm like, that's really interesting. I don't even know how to reply to this. Nothing makes sense. I can tell that you want to be my pen pal or my friend or you want to call. Or maybe you just want to tell me an interesting story. That's awesome. I'm going to say, I'm going to read the seed email. I'm going to reply and say, that's awesome. And then I'm going to sound like a dick because you spent six hours writing me a beautiful email about your story. <laughs> and I just said, that's awesome, dude. <laughs> it's better if I pretend that right, I right. got it. Right. Yeah, well, this is kind of what I'm getting at, where it's problematic. But I think this is the, the perfect email itself. is, hey, I'm going to be in New York. Would you like coffee on Thursday at 2 o'clock? Yes, no. And uh, I can be like, mm, yes, no. 
the, the tool time. itself needs to enforce this. I yeah. mean, the fact that email is so open-ended is really the root of the problem. Maybe. So you're uh, saying 140 characters. <laughs> yes. And also, like, when you talked about, like, okay, you just want to say, hey, great article. Well, yeah. you could do me a lot more benefit and yourself, actually, if you post that in some other place. Because it behoove if, if, if you want to do me a favor because you like what I do, then link yeah. to it from some public place. Yeah, That's uh, a lot more helpful to me as an, sure. as an entity spread, than spread the word. a private the word. email that only I'm going to only you and I are ever going to But remember, see. what we're talking about, a lot of these emails, what we're talking about is people. There are a lot of people that just want to say thank you, and that's awesome. And a lot of people, and, and you know what I like? A lot of times I'll get something. And you know what? The older people are, I hate to say this, the older people are, the more respectful they are of your time and the more they understand this stuff. And I'll get an email from somebody saying, hey, Joel, I love your story about X, Y, and Z. I got a similar story, which you're going to think is hilarious, about when I was an assembly language program, pro programmer in the cobalt mines of 1959, and we were trying to get an extra bite out of blah, 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 blah. And they'll write a four-page story that's awesome and hilarious, and I wish they had posted it on the web so everybody could read it. Yes. And, I'll yes. Talk. and then at the end, they'll say, no need to reply. Just wanted to share this story to thank you for you know, the stories that you've shared with me. Please, and, and there's that recognition, like, I don't, I'm not doing this because I want to become your pen pal. I'm not doing this because I need you to look at my website and promote it. I'm not doing this for any other reason. I don't need any complicated explanation from you, or I don't need you to analyze my, 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 my product and give me free usability testing on it. I, I, I just want to thank you, so I'm going to share with you this story. So that's awesome. Well, I would say do as much as you can in public and then just link me to the public thing. Sure, but there are a lot of people. I, mean, probably, I would even go so far as to say most people don't have a, an outlet for public publication. Well, they can't like post a comment on a blog or like yeah, I mean, maybe uh, a, a link on Dig or, oh, I, I liked your article. I linked it on Dig. Here you go. Some, I mean, some people just never do that. They just have zero publication. Like, it would never occur to them. They just, I, most people even just don't, they don't have blogs. There are people that do obviously have blogs and they will publish their own blog and then link to it. But then you're almost like there. If somebody just sends you a, a link to a to a blog post that they just wrote that that might be relevant, then you're like, oh god, here they are trying to promote their stupid blog because they want me to link to it because they're trying to get. No, no, no. I I am fine with that. I mean, if you've done something on your blog, I, I mean, I encourage people to write. I mean, I'm I'm yeah. I'm happy to click through. That's true. I always do click. I always do click through that stuff. To be fair, even though yeah. So really, times. yeah, that's yeah. the one piece. If you're gonna write, <laughs> yeah. First of all, just think story. really hard about when you're writing email because I mean, it's it's. <sighs> It, it takes time. Just to ask on, yourself on one time. question at the end of this email. Or at the end of the email, right before you hit send, if you're sending an email to some public celebrity or a person who receives a lot of email or somebody you don't really know yet, ask yourself at the end of the email, what do I expect them to do next? Do I need something out of them? Do I want them to answer a question? And then make sure that you're signing off with the, the next step in a, in, in, a, in a clear way. Saying, you know, I would love for you to look at this product. I would love for you to consider being an investor in my company. I would love for you to be on our board of advisors. I would, whatever it is, there just has to be like a real simple, so that we can say no. <laughs> well, you know how you know it's, it's we have kind to of understand what you want. We're not like we're doing dances with eight hundred people a day here. Yes, yes. And do you know how a lot of people say that for younger kids, say kids born in like ninety six or ninety seven, uh -huh. um, they view email as like a tool for old people, and I think they're kind of onto something in that email is kind of broken. <laughs> yeah. And I think the reason is, as kids, they, they see this. I think there's something they're intuiting about the nature of email where there's other tools that are actually better. And I think they're really kind of right about this. Um, that's why, like, I use Twitter as a communication. I'm, I'm more likely to respond to you on Twitter, honestly, if you send me an email. Uh, and, and that's just because the nature of the medium forces us to have these short interactions that are oh, much Twitter. more manageable. Awful. Awful. Much more manageable. Don't get me started about Twitter. I'm just pointing out there's alternatives. I mean, Twitter's not the only one. There's also Facebook. If you're into that, there's a whole messaging system around that. And I don't know. So I, let's, I, let's I, don't talk, I, 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 I think that's actually really interesting is why are the kids not using email? Um, you know, when they start using email to, to talk to their professors in college and then they get into the real working world. To talk and then to old start, people. It's not to talk to old people. It's for work. <laughs> it's to talk to old it's people. For, it's for serious stuff. It's for work. It's not because it's old people. It's a little bit of both, actually, I would say. Yeah, Maybe. I have a secretary who reads me my tweets. <laughs> so let me – I want to finish. So I talked about uh, two ways that we send two, – two situations that we, we send email. One is now no longer functional <laughs> by design. Uh, there's two more, and one's new, and these are notification things. Now, this is why I talked about overloading of email. So say you set up a bounty on a question. You, mm -hmm. you ask a question. You don't get a good answer. You revise your question. You add more information. You're still not like, getting good answers. So then you would put a bounty on it, which is where you attach some of your reputation to the question and say, hey, I, I want an answer for this so bad, I'm going to give whoever gives 
me the best answer, 300 of my own reputation. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a bounty. So when the bounties are about to expire, because of all the rules around gaming and ways people can exploit the system, essentially you give up the rep immediately. Uh -huh. You can never get that rep back. The minute you start a bounty, you have given up the reputation irre it's irrevocably. Yeah. But what you can do is you can give the rep to another user as long as you accept an answer. So we have to remind people, look, after seven days, there's a timer, tick, sure. tick, yeah, yeah, yeah. you have to do this. Please, if you don't do this, the, the rep just goes away. Yeah. You could give it to someone or you could let it dissipate into thin hey, air. You know what? Let's have, let's set up a, like a rep foundation for maybe children in hospitals and stuff like that. And <laughs> we could, we could basically just have a big pool of all, uh, lo all the lost reputation could go into that. We could be like, there are 9,460,000 lost reputation. It is sad when reputation is lost, isn't it? It's very profoundly how, how sad. How much is it? Maybe we should. We really should actually set up uh, some kind of a like a fund. So if a if a if a uh, I don't want to say a terminally ill child needs a brain transplant or something. A rep infusion. <laughs> <laughs> I need emergency rep infusion. We're gonna lose him. I don't uh, know. We could so, we could in some way that might be a fun thing to do. Is just actually like a you know give a figure out how many we have and then give a penny for each rep to something. But of course that would encourage people not to actually answer the question questions no one right right so so all kidding aside it is kind of a big deal i do feel bad when people just forget sure you know so that's why now we, we have the email we have a bunch of notifications we have we have a uh, banner on the site like so if you come to the site uh two days yeah, yeah, i think yeah. two days and one day before it'll insert a message in your little message queue oh, yeah on, i gave a, I, I used to i gave a lot of bounties to uh, on startups.com or answers.onstartups.com Yes, so, uh, so the site answers. will remind you, and we will email you. This is one of the few scenarios. Now, you have to give us your email address. Unlike 99% of the sites on the Internet, we don't even require the email address to even be present. Mm -hmm. So we may not have it. But assuming you gave it to us, we will email you and say, hey, buddy, by the way, mm -hmm. don't forget to do this, please. Otherwise, the rep goes away. Uh, that has to happen. Um, now, another notification that I just added, and this is actually from, copied from Stack Exchange. Uh, there was a uh, recover your account. Oh, good. Sorry about that. That's reminding us of the we next ha well, we ha Every podcast has to have at least one of those. That's good. If yeah. you didn't talk about it, I would delete it in post-production. But when you talk about it, <laughs> it makes it too late to talk it to delete it. Uh, so I realized retroactively that I hadn't been thinking of this the right way. I thought emailing people their credentials, their open IDs um, – and if you're an unregistered user, we only know who you are through your browser cookie – so I thought this would be kind of an exploit, but once I thought it through, it really isn't. So you can do, if you're an unregistered user now, you can request, as long as you've given us an email, which again is completely optional, we will send you a link to a page that will reinstate your cookie. Because the assumption is that you control this email address. Right. Now, you could put in some random guy's email address. But then but he'll get a link to reinstate your cookie. Then he'll get a link to reinstate your cookie. Yeah. So you haven't really done anything bad there. No. Um, and then if you're a registered user, we just send you, okay, these are your open IDs in case you forgot. Because I was handling at least one email per week if somebody just forgot what their open IDs were. And there was no, no way if you lost your cookie to really get the account back other than creating a new one and then we would merge them. So it becomes more of a self-service thing. And in retrospect, this is obvious. I mean, this is the advantage of having the Stack Exchange team work on the site is they see these things that I was like, oh, well, I, we totally should have done that. Yeah. Um, I thought it was dangerous. For some reason, I, I thought it, there's some security hole in this. But um, getting back to my email point, so this is a notification-style email. So the bounty notification and the I lost my account info, please send it to me notification are uh, notification-type systems. So you're using email as a notification system, which is kind of okay because, again, those are like just tiny snippets of information and usually you want that stuff like i want to know when bounties are going to expire i want to know when i forgot my password like how to get it back to get back into your site right and i think that's a reasonably valid use of email although i, I could still envision something other than email that would be better at notifications i mean why do we have so many inputs coming into email you know it's because like it's canonical because everybody has an inbox and they always check it yeah and when and i mean like everybody I can see why Google Taxi Wave wanted drivers. to attack this problem because it really does seem like there's got to be something better than email. Although I, I disagree that Wave is just it. Uh. I don't know what's the connection between Wave and Buzz. It sort of sounds like they're trying to do both things at once, and they're kind of addressing the same idea, but not really in different ways. And I don't know. They, have they lost? It, it almost feels like they kind of lost interest in Wave already, and now they're onto Buzz. Probably not true. Uh, I'm sure the Wave team is still be, you know, working pretty hard, but it's almost like, yeah, that was fun. We tried that six months ago, and now we're working on this other thing. Buzz! Yay! <laughs> <laughs> well, I think they're just experimenting. I don't think Google is very good at social software. I think it's something they're Probably not. not. 
Great well, look, they probably fact, saw that Twitter and Facebook are huge, and they want to do Twitter and Facebook type things. And why not? And there's probably a lot of engineers with their 20% crap all the time, whatever, thingamajiggy, who want to do something like this. And they look around and they say, what does Google have that we can leverage to instantly get millions of people on our Twitter clone so that we're not starting from scratch like, like, you know, like Joe Schmo would be? And the answer is probably Gmail users. Yes. And that's just their way of chicken and, solving the chicken and egg problem of there's nobody on there. Like on day one, there's going to be a bazillion people on there, and you're going to have people that you're already subscribed to, and you're going to be getting feeds even without doing anything, which, to be fair, Facebook did the same thing. But you know what's weird, though, is like I don't really want my mail network doesn't really have much to do with, say, my Twitter network. I mean, I, no, I, know. I view these as very different things. Like I view it as a negative. <laughs> it's actually kind of hilarious because everybody thinks that Facebook is the social graph. Like, oh, now we know who's friends with who and who knows who and whatever. And you know what? The, 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 the people that actually participate in Facebook or Twitter and these various social networks is such a small percentage of the people that I actually meet, speak to, interact with in, in daily life. Mm-hmm. Right? Like I had, you know, I was at dinner last night. There were about 12 people there. About 14 people stopped by. Only two people tweeted it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, at dinner, and that was a very, very techie kind of group, right? Like, if you in my normal life, the, 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 I, 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 I can count on one hand the number of people who well, I interact with that are regularly on Facebook or regularly on Twitter. Well, you know what? This the heart of this matter. What this it's gets a different to different social network is that that's right. You it's have different set networks yeah. that are based on specific activities. This isn't. Remember how people were very critical of the fact that we have these three sites, you know, Stack Overflow, Server Fault, Super User. Why not just have one Uber site? Well, the reality is that these are activities that have sort of shared sets of users that are interested in those particular activities. Mm. So, I mean, this is more accurately captures, at least in my experience, um, how people tend to group up socially. It's around specific activities and specific interests that they have. Like, I assume at this dinner there were interests in common. That's the reason you guys were... All yeah. at dinner, presumably. Yeah. Um, so you'd have some site based on those interests, and that's where those people would tend to congregate. It's about shared interests. It's not about just random connections between people. It's like, oh, we're friends. What does that even mean, friend? I mean, who? I don't even know what that means. But if, if you and I like similar things, then we both like X. That's the graph. That's the part of the graph that's interesting. We like X. But, but in your life, you may have, for example, the, the, the social network. It's, it's so, I don't know, it's so much more complicated than that. Like, it is. It's, it's very complicated. So now you've got you're going out to dinner with a bunch of friends from work, and 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 you, you your cousin's in town. You bring your cousin along, and he's got a new girlfriend and whatever. None of these people have anything in common. But they're all kind of interesting. And then you're like, you know what? You know who's really going to be interested in this thing that my cousin was talking about? I'm going to invite this person who's a really interesting person. And and then you're going to have these eight people that you're hanging out with, and that is like the real social graph from real life, and the chances that any of those people are into Twitter or into Facebook, even though those are very popular things, are actually kind of slim. Well, how many of them are into computers? I mean, this is where... But they all have email. (laughs) Presumably they all have email, but not everybody enjoys spending a lot of time in front of the computer like, say, I do. No, no, you're right. So you're right. Part of the graph is just never even going to be captured by computer websites. I mean, perhaps. Um, But email. They all have email. Yeah, and Facebook yeah. at this point. At this point, I, it was just like absolutely hilarious. I was sitting there uh, in the hospital in Israel with my dad, and one of his roommates was—I I don't, I don't know how to describe him—but pro- you know, probably an Israeli taxi driver. <laughs> I, mean, mm-hmm. I, to, I don't really know what 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 he did for a living, but he was just sort of like an older Israeli man who you you. Um, my my guess would be that he was working class, uh, and he spent his whole time in the recovery room uh, on Facebook. <laughs> wow. And I just thought that, oh my God, <laughs> that's not really weird. Yeah. It's like Facebook barely even handles the bi-directional text correctly. And he's sitting in there and just linking and all kinds of people and, and, and having a good old time on Facebook. Uh, and, and like the last demographic that I would expect. Uh, social interaction is, is a tough thing to capture in, in yeah. software. I mean, this is, goes back to the whole social software sort of myth. And I think one of the reasons Stack Overflow does, does well in this regard is that we explicitly said, look, we're not even trying to be social software. Like, we're not going to make it friendsless. We're not going to do that. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's almost better just to ignore that aspect and let the people do it for you because people are really good at forming community. Right. I mean, if you just get out of their way, they will do it. 
And, and that's kind of what I, the attitude I've taken on Stack Overflow is just let it happen naturally. Don't make the software, contort the software into this whole concept of friends is incredibly broken and just don't even try. And I think you'll actually do better than if you're Facebook and then all of a sudden have to make everything public because you realize that everything private is the wrong business choice for these social. Yeah, it's just, it's a quagmire. So, yeah. Enough about that, probably. So one final thing on email before we get off the topic is I did implement this thing called domain keys I want to talk about. Yeah. So the act of sending email is also incredibly complicated because of all the spam. Another thing that's broken about email is just the infrastructure, like the fact that spammers have abused the infrastructure so badly for years that right. it barely works. Right. So the idea of getting an email into somebody's inbox without it getting marked as spam is entirely a problem, particularly as a, you know, a website. This is actually, you know what, this has actually become biological because the truth is I don't really see that much spam, but there are right now in my spam folder uh, 1,147 messages, and that's probably because I just emptied it. <laughs> and so it's almost like if you talk to anybody in, who knows anything about medicine or biology, they'll tell you that your body has this huge host of bacteria that are constantly living in your body, but you're just sort of immune to them at this point. Or like there's just about a million illnesses floating all around us that, you know, maybe 10, 20, 100 years ago would have killed anybody. But we're all immune at this point, so it doesn't even matter. We just sort of live with all these biological agents, you know. Well, uh, I will say I that email spam is it's like it's like yeah, you know, it's just sucking up some bandwidth somewhere. Once in a while yeah. somebody gets sick. Well, Mostly. they've come up with some I mean, it, it is interesting to think of it as an immune response because mm-hmm. they have come up with systems and domain keys is one of those systems that lets sort of the good emails through or at least the emails that are people are willing to vouch for get through without the random What sort is of, domain keys? I've never heard of this. This is Well, it's basically public private key email signing and it's done there, there's two aspects to it. Uh, there's you sign you sign the emails as you send them, with your uh, is this uh, like private those, those PGP things that you get an email? No, no, no. This is all transparent. That's the beauty. Oh. So the software signs the email before you send it, mm-hmm. with your public or private key rather. Yeah. And your public key is a part of your DNS record for okay. the domain. And this happens. So, DNS wise, so it's happening like by the, the mail servers are doing this. It's yes, that's right. So when the mail server sees client. this mail comes in, it says, "Ooh, this has a domain key attached." Uh-huh. Right, that's part of the header. It's like, okay, this is a signed email. It will then do a DNS request, to fetch get your public key. public key, and then decrypt the mail. Now, the first time they tried something like this, and this was eight years ago, the last time I looked at it, um, the only people that bothered implementing this thing in the DNS servers were the spammers. <laughs> Because nobody else cared about email delivery as much as the spammers. Well, I think it gives you an audit trail. I mean, you sure, know that at that it point belongs... you can say you can, you can you can trivially ban them. Yes, that's right. All right, that's right. And it that's domain keys is probably the the primary way of getting good email through. That that's sort of well accepted now. Like Google, Google does it. Uh, there's also you can do a reverse lookup. So when you when you let's say you get a block of IPs from mm-hmm. your uh, uh, data center, mm-hmm. uh, whoever your provider is, say it's GoDaddy or whoever, um, they can actually enter a record in their system that tells whoever looks at those IPs, this actually belongs to this domain. And it's authoritative because only the registrar of those IPs, the, the entity that owns the IPs, can actually set that information. Right. Um, and that's, I believe, called sender ID. I think it's called sender ID. I can't remember the exact name. but Or no, it's reverse PTR lookup. But basically, it's just a way for the uh, the person, the entity that holds the IPs, to vouch for the people at those IPs, right? And say, when you say this comes from example.com, they can check with the registrar and say, "Is this IP really belong to example.com?" And they'll say, "Yes, in fact, it does. Mm-hmm. According to our records, um, this belongs to example.com, so it's okay." So it's another form of reverse lookup. But those are those are probably the two most common ways for email to get through: is the signing, the domain key signing, and then the reverse PTR. That's set by your uh, your uh, the pr- whoever sold the IPs to you. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, well, it's not helping because I got one thousand one hundred forty-seven uh, spams in my. Uh, maybe that's fewer. No, you know whatever. This is the same number of spams I've always gotten. And then the sender ID thing is, I think, only something Microsoft supports at this point. Getting mail to Hotmail is like a nightmare. By the way, okay. I mean, we're able to send emails. We send all these test emails once we set all this stuff up, just to make sure. Because particularly for careers, because these are emails about potential jobs and stuff. That email has to arrive. Right. So we took email a lot more seriously when we did careers. That's when we implemented all this stuff. And we did a bunch of test emails, and Hotmail was just brutal to get. Even though we were signing it, we were doing everything correctly. We had reverse PTR set up. Hotmail's like, nope, spam. Yep. <laughs> you know what? That's not the only reason people with Hotmail email addresses can't get jobs as programmers. 
It was rough. Um, we eventually <laughs> set up sender ID, which is another DNS record you can set up. Right, it's right. That, I think sender ID was the older thing before domain yeah, that's, keys. Yeah, it's pretty old. And that was the thing that the, that the, the spammers were real good at putting on. Anyway. Yes. Uh, eventually, we emailed Microsoft. They have some support network, and they actually responded. And they're like, "Okay, your sender ID looks good. Make this tweak to it." And it's almost like we got whitelisted. We had to ask. It felt a lot like, even though we had done the sender ID thing, we had to like email them and ask to be whitelist. That's what it felt like. Right. Um, I don't know if that's true or not, but hopefully, we believe the hotmail is actually arriving now from us. So, anyway, another dimension to email. I know it's a little boring and dry and technical, but I mean, if you're going to send email and you want it to arrive, I swear you have to do this stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're hosed. I mean, it's just totally random whether your stuff will actually arrive. So, cool. Do we have a listener question? Oh, yeah, let's take a listener question. Hi, Jeff and Joel. This is Pierre Lafayette, a recent grad from the University of Toronto. First of all, thanks for a great site and great podcast. Secondly, thanks to Joel and Fog Creek for their involvement in the U of T Capstone project. I got a chance to meet with Benjamin from Fog Creek at the Code Sprint, and it seems like the Mercurial project is going pretty well. So let me uh, – I'm going to interrupt and explain what that is. Uh, mm-hmm. This is a capstone project. Uh, is something that a uh, university student does their last year, which is actually supposed to be like developing code in a way that you might actually develop code in the real world as opposed to a take-home assignment from your CS class. It's like actually like writing some real-world code and, 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 and making it useful and debugging it and testing it and all that kind of stuff. And, cool. Um, uh, U-C-O-S, let's see, I can't even, U-C-O-S-P, U-C-O-S-P, did I spell that right? Um, yes, is the Undergraduate Capstone Open Source Projects, is a, is a thing that Greg Wilson set up at the University of Toronto, and um, some of you may remember him as one of the uh, most awesome speakers at the Toronto Stack Overflow Dev Days, um, and um he um, uh, he he set it he set it up, and the idea is a bunch of students from actually several uh, Canadian universities and a couple of non-Canadian universities uh, get together and do their capstone projects on various open source um, pro- projects that need work, and uh, uh, under some kind of a corporate sponsorship type love fest. So Fog Creek is sponsoring a project to uh, do some enhancements to Mercurial. Uh, uh, and, uh, so I guess this is one of the students that's, um, yeah, that's working on that. Cool. Anyway, that's what he's talking about. Let's continue. I think it's great that your company is getting involved with the education of the next generation of software developers. The students benefit enormously from such real world development experience. I have a few questions for Joel regarding the Fog Creek training series, Making Better Software. It seems like a fantastic idea. I can't think of any other company that has been willing to expose their development processes in such an intimate fashion. Who is the target consumer for this product? It seems geared towards smaller companies that are hiring a lot of new grads. Do you think it could serve as a training for university students? If so, why not have a discounted academic version available? At the current price point, it kind of leaves students, individual developers, or simply any developer who works for a company that won't spend two grand on training videos in this economic downturn without. Anyhow, thanks again. Take care. Um, so what he's talking about is uh, you can go to training.fogcreek.com, and we, um, we have released a series of six uh, DVDs uh, along with um, like a, a big book. And, and the six DVDs are six one-hour documentaries about the software development process that we use here at Fog Creek. And uh, I should send you a copy of that, Jeff. You, you watch a lot of TV, right? Sure. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> you go watch it on the I can set aside six hours field. to do that. <laughs> and uh, and uh, the book is, uh, is um, actually uh, a whole bunch of uh, old articles from Joel on Software kind of organized according to the themes in the in the movie and so it's meant for corporate training basically if you have a team of developers that you want to train on the way that we do software here um, the theory is uh, what you would do you would spend six weeks and every week once a week you you get together over lunch or something and watch one of these videos um, and then you do you know you could have discussions and then you would do the reading um, from the book on that chapter just sort of more in-depth stuff and so it's sort of a self-training thing. And it is $2,000, which is uh, um, what uh, I think uh, um, uh, what Pierre Antoine is, is, uh, is uh, complaining about. 
Um, it, there is a, a academic price. You just have to email us. You'll get 50% off. But, um, you know, most of that cost is these things are just really, really expensive to produce a document, high quality document, documentary of this sort. And um, for a typical uh, corporate training uh, budget, um, that's like nothing. So like almost any corporation that had a training budget and trained people um, would consider that price to be um, completely normal for these kinds of things. Um, but again, it's not really going to be all that accessible to students. Uh, on the other hand, if you are at a university or whatever and you're interested in watching these, um, ask around um, because I'll bet you'll find that like the computer science department or the libraries will just get it for you. Um, in fact, if you go to your university library and say there's this thing and I want you guys to get it, they'll probably just order it. Uh, people don't realize that libraries will do that for them often. Uh, so that would be my uh, recommendation. In, 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 in sometime next year, I mean, this is probably about a year away, um, we're, we're likely to try to edit down these videos into something shorter and simpler that we can just make available as a single DVD, and so the cost would be substantially less than the current thing, which is really like this big training pack with all these DVDs and these, these big books. So that was to answer that question. Cool. Uh, you know my standard answer, Joel. You should just open source that. I'm going to. <laughs> uh, I, but I will say to Pierre's point about how open you guys are about, and I guess I was I feel bad for being a little critical of you on the last podcast about this. My my membrane versus brick wall argument. I mean, you guys are very open about sharing, you know, the the process of what you do. I mean, compared to most companies. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're 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 writing about it. I mean, exactly. you have these series where you talk about how you do it. You have books about how you hire people. So you're very open. So that was probably unfair of me to say that. Uh, I think I just get. What did you say? Wait, I'm going. Well, I I, I was just. I think it's it's weird for us because we're so the community is the site for us. I mean, it's almost like your customers are helping you build the product. I mean, sure. in a very literal way. Right. Uh, in a way that's not true for you know package software it just isn't i mean the people who use bug tracking software aren't in there helping you build it right but the things that people do on stack overflow with the data dump i mean that's all pretty cool they're, they're very proactively helping us build the system mm -hmm. and it, it, it's a symbiotic relationship in in every sense of the word um so i think my head's just in a weird space because i'm so immersed in that sort of world 24 7 that i that that's how i see everything mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, but yeah, the videos are great, and I, I think you guys do a great job of, of sharing your process and evangelizing. I mean, any, anywhere we go, um, that we talk about offices, you know, Fog Creek is always the reference point for you know how programmers. <laughs> it's funny because we're still the only company that has private pro offices for uh, programmers outside of Microsoft. But you're out there fighting the good fight. We on are that trying. Topic. We're trying. I'm getting going horse talking about it. <laughs> Why don't you have private offices for your developers? Yeah, well, I think logistically that that's probably the most challenging thing to have. I mean, yep. I totally support it. I mean, I, how could you be against it and be a working programmer? It's insane. But on the other hand, some I will programmers say that, like the camaraderie of sitting around a big table with a bunch of other programmers and talking all the time instead of coding. They just like this. It's more fun. You don't get any work but done, but it's fun. The, the only thing I would add to that is is the one thing you don't want to lose focus of is is when you work anywhere, it's all about who you're working with. Almost everything else is really secondary to that. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, while I, I totally support the idea of having you know quiet workspaces where you can freaking think. Right. <laughs> um, if I had the choice between a quiet workspace with a bunch of dullards <laughs> or people that just weren't doing things that I thought were interesting at all versus a noisy workplace where I'm being interrupted all the time, but I'm working with people who are brilliant and you know pushing me to become a better programmer, then I think you have to go with the latter. Mm -hmm. um, but granted, that's a false choice, completely false. Ideally, Because you, you could know, work at Fog Creek and have both. You could work at Fog Creek and, or somewhere of the same caliber of Fog Creek and actually have both. But in the final analysis, I do have to say that it, it, it's all about who you work with. Uh, and in any job that you pick, that should be the number one thing. Also, your take-home pay. <laughs> also, the fact that they pay you... Pay. In money and not soda pop. <laughs> we have espresso. Yeah. Um, all right. This is uh, this is supposed to be a short one this week, right? Because we gotta yes. we gotta go off and do another. Meeting. We do. Got to do um, some stuff. Got to do. Got to do the stuff. Let me, let me stuff. Just search my address before the Stack Overflow podcast. If you have a question for Jeff and I for a future episode of the Stack Stack Podcast, Stack 
call the podcast hotline. And that number backwards is 978-36-28646 or forward. The number is area code 646-826-3879. And you can just record your uh, thing or even better, record an MP3 file and email it to me. I, I, I always say Agvorbis because otherwise I get email from Richard Stallman. But, but I've never gotten an Agvorbis <laughs> file. So, so you know what? Send me an Agvorbis file, and that's what I'm, I'll play that first. Uh, two, podcast at stackoverflow.com. There's a transcript wiki um, where people, uh, volunteers from around the world, have been graciously transcribing the in- interesting parts of this podcast. So it's, only, it's really only about two, three sentences this week uh, for the benefit of the hearing impaired and just for you know, posterity. And that is uh, linked to from the show notes every week. The show notes are a place where you can find hyperlinks to various interesting stuff that we've mentioned during the show and kind of an outline of what's in every show. And that's located at the Stack Overflow blog, blog.stackoverflow.com. All right. We're not sure what's happening next week, but I've been told that I should get the Stack Exchange team on. So there is a, a, uh, a uh, very small possibility that I'll actually be able to muster the energy to drag together the Stack Exchange team for a very special – those guys don't talk that much. They're real quiet. Uh, for a very special podcast. Well, uh, uh, I can week. post on the blog a bunch of questions for them to ask, or you could just ask on Meta. I'm sure you can come up with tons of questions. Yeah, yeah, we'll have, uh, we'll have, we'll have what to talk about. Yes. Once you get them going. I'll get some okay. here and here. It'll be fine. And I think that'll be great. I, I actually want to. I'll submit some questions to you. <laughs> Jeff's going to be Jeff. Why don't you ask a submit a MP3 question? Uh, we're going to be uh, Jeff's going to be in New Zealand at Webstock next week. Will people know about this in time to go to Webstock? If you're yes, in New, New Zealand, uh, if you're close out. to New Zealand or perhaps in Australia, maybe. <laughs> yeah, come across. And if you're in the South Island, forget it. He's not coming. Yeah, he's just to hell with the South coming. Island. No, you're not going to see a single no, fjord. No, no, no. There are no fjords <laughs> on the North Island. Yeah. Barely any sheep either. All right. uh, Have a good week. See you all next week. See you next week. Bye. You've been listening to Stack Overflow with Jeff Atwood and Joel Spolsky. The Conversations Network is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we need your help. For a tax-deductible donation of as little as $5 per month, you can support this channel and the rest of the Conversations Network. So please visit conversationsnetwork.org to become a member and help us continue to bring our programs to the world for free. Our audio files are delivered by Limelight Networks, the high-performance content delivery network for digital media. The post-production audio engineer for this program was Joel Spolsky. Our website editor was Jeff Atwood. The series producer is... Jeff Atwood. This is Phil Windley. I hope you'll join me next time for another great presentation from Stack Overflow here on IT Conversations.